0: Name is Pastor Nate Johnson. I'm going on four months of being the pastor up at Christ Community Church in Blaine and I feel deeply indebted to you all as a part of that. Like some of it was Pastor Bert and Pastor Nathan talking me off of the cliff of like no you should really consider this. Um, I know Dan Gibson knew some of the elders at that church and was like no those are really good guys you could should consider this and that you all prayed for me and my family throughout that process. So thank you, and it truly is a joy to be back with you tonight. Um, Our passage for tonight is Matthew 27, verses 32 through 54. I'm hoping you can hear me in the mic. I'm not actually sure at the moment, but okay. So this is a passage where we remember one of the darkest marks on humanity, where our greatest evil and the depths of wickedness were put to use to the greatest harm against the source of all that is good, true, and beautiful the vileness of humanity, waging war against God himself. And yet on that very same day, in those very same moments, the love of God shined most beautifully. Where what Pilate and the Sanhedrin and the mob meant for evil, God used for our greatest good, for your good, so that you might be saved. So if you would, please read with me Matthew 27, verses 32 through 54. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests, when the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. He desires for him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Lema, sabachthani?" That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, We ask of you to look upon us, your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and given up into the hands of wicked men, to suffer humiliation and death upon the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. Create and make in us new hearts that we may lament and repent of all our sins and receive from you mercy through remission of sins through your blessed Son. Amen. So back when I was knee-high to a grasshopper... um, probably when I was about my daughter, Kaya, who's here with me today's age. She's about eight. My pa took the whole family to the Grand Canyon. Um, And unfortunately, we could only afford to stay for a single day. Um, And my dad was like, we're just going to hit the highlights. We're going to see the best spots we can because this is our one chance in life to go do this. Um, And I don't remember... I remember how many things I missed. But the thing that most impressed itself upon me is standing about 10 feet from the edge of the Grand Canyon and feeling like that great abyss was about to swallow me whole. And yet, I could not divert my eyes from it. Um, It was as if the gaze was magnetized, like my eyes were magnetized to this great expanse going out before me. And then I would feel the currents of the wind brush against my face as the air is heating up and it's coming up out of the canyon. And as I look out across the many layers of this canyon and you see shades of red and browns and shimmering colors that appear like gold and it just mesmerized me as a kid like it's i haven't been back there since the story and i still have it stuck in my memory and i you know we spent that entire day going to different spots i remember looking through binoculars to see the mighty colorado river Um, And as I look down, there's like all these rocks popping out of the stream as rafters are going through, and I I think they're insane, but I also kind of want to do it. Um, And I just left feeling like I could spend the rest of my entire life exploring this canyon, and I still would not see every nook and cranny of this beautiful sculpture made by God. And yet, as great as that is, still greater is the wonder of Christ's crucifixion. Lifetimes would not be enough to fully capture the lengths our Savior went through on our behalf to save us from our sins. Um, but if I could have you take a look at it again tonight, I want you to just take away two things, or perhaps glance at two of the wonders that Jesus worked on your behalf that day so long ago. It would be this. One, Christ suffering in his body, and two, Christ suffering in his spirit. So let us now look at Christ's suffering in his body. Before Christ was wrongfully seized by the Sanhedrin's guard, Christ was already in anguish. He was praying in the garden to his Father on our behalf, knowing what would come next. And he sweated, had sweat falling from his body body as if it was drops of blood. And then the Sanhedrin's guard seized him, and do you think they treated him really well when they grabbed our Savior? You know, at the same time, is it right for an innocent man to be treated as a villain? And then during his trial before Ciphas, we are told they spat in his face and struck him. Some even slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? In the morning, he found himself bound and dragged before the po- most powerful man in Jerusalem, Pontus Pilate. And when Pilate had washed his hands of the matter giving in to the demands of the crowd, it was not enough to just turn Jesus over to be crucified. No, Pilate had our Lord Jesus scourged. Do you understand what that means? It means our innocent Lord would have been tied up, his back exposed, as he was struck time and time again with a whip that had metal balls and shards of bone woven into it as he was hit by a Roman soldier. Each strike would bruise him and bloody his back. Strikes from his shoulders down to the back of his legs. There's a church historian, Eusebius, um, who describes this type of Roman punishment like this. The sufferer's veins were laid bare, and the very muscles, tendons, and bowels of the victim were open to exposure. Many would die before even seeing the cross collapsing from the loss of blood. And we think. You know, under Mosaic law, we, we, we see there's this law of you can only strike somebody 39 times. But he's being struck under Roman law. And under Roman law, it was up to the whim of the soldier. We do not know how many times our Savior grit his teeth under the brutality of that terrible weapon. And as I read this text, every time I'm left praying to God, Dear Father in heaven, was this enough? Undeserved suffering. Of my Lord, to ransom us. But in his decree, we know the Father answered no, for he allowed Pilate to deliver his beloved son over to be crucified. The scourging was not enough for Christ to ransom you and I. And as Pilate commanded his soldiers to go and crucify Jesus, the innocent one, their fun, it wasn't finished. They were not yet done, taking him aside to deride and further humiliate the long-awaited Passover lamb. They stripped him of his clothes, they exposed his nakedness, they covered him in royal robes, and drove into his head the crown of thorns, striking him again before they led him away to crucify him. And again, as I read it, I'm asking, Lord, is this not enough undeserved suffering for my Lord to ransom us? And again, the answer from God's word is the Father saying no. For his beloved son, with body torn and tattered, carried the instrument of his execution until he could no longer. The soldier compelled Simon to carry the cross until our Lord reached the execution grounds, Golgotha, the place of the skull. And there they offered him wine mixed with gall, a drink so bitter our Lord's parched lips and thirsty tongue could not accept it. And there they pierced his wrist, there they pierced his feet, There, Pilate's soldiers raised him up in shame for all to see. There they placed him between two rebels, insurrectionists like Barabbas, who the crowd had just set free, two men who um, would have also been aiming for overthrowing Rome and freeing Israel. So this crucifixion was not the punishment of simple thieves and robbers. The cross was saved for the worst of Rome's enemies, those who had rebelled against the empire. And they were made a public spectacle, sometimes lasting days, to dissuade anyone else from rising up against them. These two rebels were likely planned to be crucified with Barabbas, who had just been freed. So our innocent Lord took his place. In this act, the worst of criminals they called our spotless lamb. There below, where he hung suspended in the air, they gambled for his clothes, for to him the soldiers gave no care. And then they fulfilled Psalm 22, verse 18. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And now that our Christ has been struck, he's been scourged, he's been humiliated and pierced by the nails, I ask of our Father again, is this enough suffering for my Lord to save us from our sins? Would you take him down from there before his last gasp? And again, by his decree, the Father says no. There on the cross, the Son of God would stay for you and me. There he would writhe in agony under the crushed nerves pierced by the nails. Against those nails, he would push himself up to fight for every breath, scraping his bloodied back against the coarse wood of the cross for each gasp. And then our Savior would remain until his life had passed. For the wages of sin is death, as First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And then again, Paul in Romans 5, verse 8 says, But God chose his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This was the cost to save sinners like us. To the one who believes God could not forgive your sins what greater length could God go to show you his love? To the one who tells themselves they owe something to God, what could be left unpaid by this action? To one whose conscience cries that they must work, what tasks did Christ leave uncomplete on your behalf? Jesus paid it all. And yet God does not leave us with just the story of Christ's suffering in the body. He does not leave us open to us the option that Jesus, the God-man's body, was afflicted, but he himself was not. He did not experience all of the suffering dispassionately. For as the Heidelberg Catechism rightly says in answer 37, Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. This he did in order that by his suffering, as the only atoning sacrifice, he might deliver us body and soul, from eternal condemnation, and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. So now let us look upon Christ's suffering in his spirit. For some of you, this aspect of Christ's work, of your salvation, might be new, but it's something that certainly matters. The Son of God becoming man only meant that Christ adorned himself with human flesh like a man placing upon himself a coat, then he could not have saved us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. When the Son of God became man, he did not simply take on human form, but also a human mind, human will, human emotions. In other words... He added onto himself not only our physical form, but also a human spirit or a rational soul is another way of wording it. Christ suffered not only terribly and actually in the body, but also in his spirit. For in his decree, the Father declared suffering in his flesh alone was not enough to redeem you and me. Christ felt the continued anguish of betrayal on this day. He knew that his disciples had abandoned him he predicted that Judas would betray him. He prophesied that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. And then the people, this crowd who was calling for him to be crucified, who a week before were cheering his name, they were treating him like a conquering king coming into Jerusalem, were now calling for his execution. They who called him the son of David, who called him a prophet sent from God, now wished to see him accursed before God. Deuteronomy 23 verse 23 says, any man hung on a tree is cursed by God. The Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem, they wanted to be able to fully discredit Jesus's ministry by having him crucified. And despite all of Jesus's wisdoms and miracles, they could always point to that verse and say, Jesus was cursed by God. He is no prophet. He is no Messiah. And so in the midst of all of this, he also experiences the corruption of justice in human institutions. For the Sanhedrin, they met in dark. They used false witnesses to accuse him. They condemned Christ to death for speaking the truth. He was handed over to the whims of the mob by the one tasked with executing justice in Jerusalem. He experienced what it was like to be scorned by mankind and despised by all people. Everyone who saw him mocked him, and they mocked his words. So like We read from this passage of the things they were crying out to him as he's crucified on the cross, saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. He trusted in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And he had within himself the entire time that this is taking place, the power to take himself down from that cross. He could have called upon a legion of angels. He could have in an instant silenced all of their mocking. But Christ endured it for you and I. For to save us, he truly had to die. On the cross, his spirit was sorely vexed, and with what little strength he had left, he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Many have you, oh, pardon me. Many of you have probably heard here he is quoting from the first line of Psalm 22. This is true. Uh, Psalm 22 describes very well, perhaps prophetically, the events of Christ's death. But there is more going on here. Christ, in his anguish, is calling to mind the promises of God. Christ must have felt abandoned by his Father, and I do not mean he was truly abandoned, for God is one, and God cannot divide himself asunder. But on the cross, Jesus not only experienced the physical judgment against sin upon his flesh, but he truly bore all God's rightful and just wrath that was reserved for us. Earlier, I quoted in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, which says, again, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. What is propitiation? It's the appeasement of wrath. It is the satisfaction of God's just anger against humanity, which has so grievously sinned against him. It is the action of an atoning sacrifice. Christ, in his words on the cross, in faith, calls out to his Father in the midst of bearing all the Father's wrath that was rightly set against us on our behalf. And shortly after this, he cried, It's finished, and then... Our blessed Savior died. As I read this text a final time, I ask the Father, was this enough undeserved suffering for my Lord to ransom us? And the Father finally answers yes. This, this passage, it concludes with, him. he tears open the temple curtain, giving us access to himself. He is answering yes. As the, ga- the graves are broken open on the day of his resurrection, he is answering yes. And those who watched and stood in awe and declared, truly, this was the Son of God, God was saying, yes. So troubled soul, if you wonder this day, is there hope for me? Look upon the cross and see the answer is yes. To the sinner wondering, can I be forgiven for this deep sin that I am too scared to tell anyone about? Look on the cross and know the answer is yes. Yes. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let us pray. Father, thank you for blessing me with another opportunity to be here with my brothers and sisters at Wiser Lake Chapel. Please, I hope the words that i prepared are of benefit to them, are of encouragement to them. Let them take whatever is valuable and let them disregard whatever is chaff. Please be with us. As we go on to continue worshiping you, be with us as we go off into our week, O Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.